What's up, Dolphins fans? It is Thursday, which means it's time for yet another crossover Thursday edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. Today on the show, we're joined by Aaron Freeman. And in addition, we're going to talk about the decision that the Dolphins have most recently made at the offensive tackle position that raised my eyebrows. That and more here on Locked On Dolphins. You are Locked On Dolphins. Your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to this Thursday, October 21st, 2021 edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, and Really enjoyed today's conversation with Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons. Pretty insightful conversation into Atlanta, who's in the first year with their head coach, Arthur Smith. Got into some of the dynamics with what we're perceiving to be the issues with the Miami Dolphins at this point in time. But all of that is going to come after we talk about the latest decision that the Miami Dolphins have made at the offensive tackle position. And the decision that they made was to not make a decision at all. The news came out throughout the course of the day on Wednesday that DJ Fluker, uh, formerly of the Miami Dolphins, who was in-house for the off-season program and the start of training camp, uh, is going to be expected to be signing with the Las Vegas Raiders, who had him in for a workout this week. To which I would like to know, if you're the Miami Dolphins, and you are watching Jesse Davis continue to struggle at the right tackle position, knowing full well that DJ Fluker stepped in and provided competent play at right tackle for a playoff team last year for the Baltimore Ravens in the second half of the season, why would you not want to bring that player now healthy after needing arthroscopic knee surgery in July back into your program to provide you with somebody who could potentially better help you evaluate your young quarterback. Because I get it. You're one in five. You're not making the playoffs. And I hear the enthusiasm and the optimism that some Dolphins fans still have on that front. It's not happening, in my opinion. And from their perspective, they have to be realistic as well. You just lost to a team that had lost 20 straight games in Jacksonville. You're one in five. You're probably not going to have postseason success this year. So if you want to frame it from that way and say, ah, what's the point of bringing in a a veteran if we're not going to make the playoffs? That's all fine and dandy. But you can't continue to evaluate Tua Tungavaloa if you don't have the best possible offensive line in front of him to give him the best possible chance to work through his progressions on any given play. And you can't tell me, DJ Fluker, who you were so interested in that you signed and had set to compete for potentially a starting right tackle job before training camp started, who's now healthy after needing surgery, wasn't a potential upgrade over what we see from Jesse Davis on a weekly basis. That, for the life of me, I cannot wrap my mind around. I can't buy in on that. I can't respect that decision-making process. DJ Flukers wasn't going to come in and be an all-pro offensive tackle. 
but how many years and how many reps and how many games and how many hits and pressures do we need to see from Jesse Davis before we, as a collective coaching staff, just kind of understand that's who Jesse Davis is. I don't know, but apparently the answer is more than what we've already seen. I'm a little frustrated that this opportunity, like I was unsure when DJ Fluker would be available to play. Sounds like he's going to sign with the Raiders um, this week. And this is the set. Now the second offensive lineman that the Raiders have plucked away from uh, Miami after cuts with Jermaine Illuminor, who played respectably well during his appearance with the Raiders being the other one. If we're going to give to a tongue of a low and the rest of the offense, the best evaluation opportunity that we can, including Robert Hunt at right guard, you got to be willing to continue to mess with the status quo because we know what Jesse Davis is. And the answer is not good enough. So why not rekindle what already existed, who you were already willing and ready to pay this season in DJ Fluker to come back and give it another go. They chose not to make that decision. And instead Miami is going to have to continue to forge forward with Jesse Davis, presumably as the right tackle. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high quality service online for the last 20 years. So whether you're shopping for engine control modules, brake parts, taillights, motor oil, or even new car for your classic or daily driver, RockAuto.com has everything you need in one easy-to-navigate catalog, and in just a few clicks, you can get everything delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, price are the same at rockauto.com for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com for all your auto parts needs and write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. I'm joined by Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons. I am Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins. And we have a week seven matchup between a couple of teams still looking to find their stride. So before I get into asking Aaron any questions, Aaron, first and foremost, it's great to see you. How's the season been treating you thus far? It's been pretty good. Uh, you know, the Falcons are getting better as things go. I, I know it's not necessarily trending that way for the Dolphins uh, this year. So, you know, it, it does seem like one of these teams going into this weekend is a little bit on the rise coming off of their bye week. The Dolphins elected not to have their bye week after their, mm-hmm. their London game. So I'll be curious to sort of see what version of the Dolphins uh, shows up this weekend and it does not seem at least based off of the first couple of weeks that they're trending in the right direction but it is, it's going to be a, a golden opportunity for one of these teams you know with the Falcons continuing their momentum or the Dolphins potentially getting their season back on track so it's going to be a fun matchup yeah for sure and of course there's a little bit of familiarity with these two teams who had the joint practices in the preseason and the preseason game in, in week two of the preseason and you know, when I, when I thought about where I wanted to start this conversation with you about Atlanta, Aaron, obviously one of the names that was tied to the Dolphins throughout the pre-draft process was Kyle Pitts, the number four overall pick when Miami was sitting there in the three hole before they traded out and then traded back up to six and eventually drafted Jalen Waddle. So uh, it seems like Pitts has uh, kind of settled in 
for Atlanta, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm just kind of working my head around some specific matchups. And Eric Rowe has traditionally been a very good tight end coverage option for the Dolphins, but he's only played 41 snaps over the last two weeks combined. So how well is Kyle Pitts playing? Obviously with Arthur Smith, this is a team that likes to use a lot of 12 personnel and multiple tight end sets. Uh, so I have to figure that's probably something Miami should be planning for. Yeah, you know, Kyle Pitts is been playing pretty well, you know, given the level of hype that we had for Kyle Pitts, the first month of the season was a little disappointing, largely, I think, due to the lack of red zone production from Kyle Pitts, where we Mm -hmm. really thought that would be a big area for him. We saw him catch his first touchdown of the season in that week five game against London. That was his big game where he had nine catches for 119 yards. And, you know, what was interesting watching the film of that game and seeing how strong a first half Kyle Pitts had, where I think six of his nine catches came, a lot of it was the Jets playing a lot of man coverage and the Falcons exploiting that when, you know, they were dealing with injuries to their number two wide receiver in Russell Gage, didn't travel to London. Calvin Ridley didn't travel to London due to an undisclosed personal matter that kept him stateside. And so you needed to see the Falcons funnel their offense through Kyle Pitts in that Jets matchup. And they were effective at doing that early on in the game in large part due to, I think the fact that the Falcons, when Matt Ryan was seeing man coverage pre-snap, he was like, I'm going to the the one guy that I know uh, is the team's most reliable pass catcher. And and we saw that with Kyle Pitts. Um, And so I'm very curious to sort of see with this matchup, given uh, at least from my perception, Miami's prevalence to play man coverage I, I noticed uh, looking at some of the PFF data uh, that when the uh, Dolphins went up against the Raiders a couple of weeks ago, that it seemed like Byron Jones was getting a lot of those matchups against uh, Darren Waller. Um, and you talk about Eric Rowe. We saw that matchup between Eric Rowe and Kyle Pitts during the joint practices earlier this summer. So I'm very curious to sort of see how the Dolphins decide to try to match up with Kyle Pitts. But I think certainly given where we've seen Kyle Pitts most recently against the Jets that, you know, this relationship, this rapport between Matt Ryan and Kyle Pitts is really starting to solidify, and I expect him to potentially have a big week this weekend. Yeah, Miami without Xavier Howard and Byron Jones this past weekend against Jacksonville, and they definitely played a lot more zone. And as I'm thinking about what they had in the middle of the field, whether it was Andrew Van Ginkle or Elan and Roberts or even Jerome Baker with some of the zone drops underneath, even if they try and zone him up. I think Kyle Pitts is going to have a lot of room to work. Uh, But this isn't the only skill player that I'm interested in asking you about. You had mentioned Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley uh, did not travel to London uh, for various reasons. But what in the hell has gotten into Cordero Patterson with him just being a dude who's all over the field? I mean, I remember watching him at Tennessee at wide receiver. When he first came into the league, he was really exciting. And uh, what is it about this offense that has allowed him to find so much fresh life in his production as an offensive weapon. Yeah, the first couple of games, it was really just basically the Falcons offense was very dink and dunk. And because of some of the offensive line struggles that they were dealing with, it led to Matt Ryan checking the ball down a ton. And a lot of those checkdowns went to Cordero Patterson, and we got to see Cordero Patterson showcase uh, that kick return ability, that dynamic ability with the ball in his hands 
given his size, his speed and whatnot, just basically turning simple checkdowns into big plays for the Falcons. Uh, he's been, uh, uh, because of some of the lack of production that we've seen with Kyle Pitts and, and to a lesser extent, Calvin Ridley in the red zone, it seemed like Cordero Patterson was their go-to guy in the red zone. And, and that led to him scoring a bunch those first couple of weeks. And I don't know if he's still at the top of the leaderboard in terms of touchdown scored this year, but he certainly was through the first month of the season. And then the last couple of weeks, given some of the injuries that they've had at the wide receiver position, uh, the Falcons have been utilizing him a lot more as a wide receiver, particularly rather than having him be a playmaker out of the backfield like it was the first couple of games. It's a lot more being split out wide, uh, lining up in the slot, and we've seen some big plays from him in that role. He had a 42-yard touchdown against Washington. Uh, he had a second touchdown later that game uh, on a check down, as I mentioned earlier. And then he went you know, toe-to-toe against Washington's top corner in Kendall Fuller late that game and, and basically mossed him on, on a fade route. Uh, and so we're seeing sort of Cordero Patterson be this – very versatile piece for the Falcons, whether it's lining up in the backfield, out wide, in the, in the slot. And, you know, then you have sort of his his go-to strength over the years, which is, you know, the kickoff game. So he's able to really impact this Falcons team in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and we're just sort of waiting for that big uh, kick return for a touchdown, uh, you know, potentially later this year, in addition to what he's contributing on offense. So certainly a player that has been, you know, arguably the team's most valuable player through this first five weeks of the season. And the expectation is we'll continue to see that as the Falcons try to get more out of some of their other player makers like Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley and, and Russell Gage moving forward. Dolphins fans, if Cordero Patterson indeed does run a touchdown back against the Dolphins. Just know Aaron was the one who put the hex on it. It was not me. He said it. He put it into reality. I want to ask you more, one more question about the offense, and it's about the offensive line. Uh, obviously, Matt Ryan, uh, it was kind of a controversial decision perhaps with you know the decision to trade Julio Jones but not draft a quarterback there with the number four overall pick and uh, Arthur Smith coming in there, and obviously his offense is very play-action oriented and he likes to run the football obviously his pedigree at Tennessee with the Titans so how well has this offensive line acclimated to a new style of play and how would you say uh, the style of play and the play calling helps or amplifies any of the soft points that you have up front and I ask this because Miami they do have a lot of success in finding pressures, but they're not consistently getting to the quarterback and finishing in a lot of ways. Well, this weekend's matchup is going to be interesting because the Falcons are going to be potentially down their right tackle and Caleb McGarry went on COVID uh, over the bye week. And so the expectation is that they will probably wind up starting Jason Spriggs, uh, who's been sort of filling in as their swing tackle. Uh, so far this season. And so that's going to be a potential test. And you're talking about finding exploitations. And as I understand it, that's typically the side of the D line that Emmanuel Agba lines up on. And, you know, from my observation, he's been Miami's most consistent and reliable pass rusher. So I think that's an opportunity for Miami to exploit there in this particular matchup. But with the offensive line, it's been a work in progress. They really struggled in those first couple of games, particularly against Philadelphia in week one, uh, is sort of with this new look unit. The positive is with their sort of a- adaptation to 
uh, Arthur Smith's offense is that, you know, this offensive line over the years under Dan Quinn and, and general manager Thomas Dimitrov, they were built to be an outside zone blocking offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those were the pieces that they added over the years. And th- that became a little bit of a problem when Dirk Cutter was calling plays in 2019 and 2020, because that's not really Dirk Cutter's inclination to run that type of scheme. He, you know, it was kind of a, a square peg and a round hole with some of the play calling there. Uh, so you're seeing a little bit more of a natural fit for several of these players, but you're not really seeing the excellence in terms of your expectations for this running game up front. Jake Matthews is not particularly doing a great job run blocking this year. Caleb McGarry has been up and down this year. Uh, the two new starters on the interior with Jalen Mayfield, the rookie left guard out of out of Michigan that they took in the third round, uh, their second year uh, center, Matt Hennessy. Hennessy's been doing a pretty good job. Mayfield's been a little bit more of that square peg. He wasn't necessarily a guy that you pegged as a, oh, this is a guy that's a perfect fit in an outside zone scheme, particularly now that he's playing guard, making that conversion to right tackle. So that's been a little bit you know, inconsistent. And so the the offensive line is making progress, particularly in the run blocking, but we haven't quite seen it there. We've seen ups and downs when it comes to pass protection with Mayfield probably being their weakest link up front. And that's been exploited a number of times, given some of the high level D tackles that the Falcons have faced over the first five weeks of the season. So the offensive line is a work in progress, but I think in general, things are trending in the right direction. But, you know, I don't know if this week, given that they're down McGarry um, is going to be the week where it all sort of comes together and we start to see this offensive line really solidify. I think that's something that we'll just have to wait and see maybe later this season. Aaron, I got one more for you, and it's on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, how's the health of this side of the ball look, and how well have they uh, adapted to Dean Pease, who is a great addition from a, a coaching staff perspective as the defensive coordinator this year? Obviously a bit of a departure from the Dan Quinn style and school of thought on the defense. Yeah, as far as injury related, you know, they seem to be going in the right direction. They did lose nickel cornerback Isaiah Oliver for the season. Richie Grant sort of stepped in last uh, time when the Falcons played Jets in London, uh, their second round pick, uh, the safety out of UCF, uh, and did a pretty solid job. I think he's going to be up for a much bigger challenge this week going up against Jalen Waddle than he was against Jamison Crowder. No offense to Jamison Crowder. Um, and so we'll see how that goes. You know, they're dealing with some other injuries at that nickel cornerback position with Avery Williams, who stepped in for an injured Isaiah Oliver earlier in the season. And he's coming back from an injury. Eric Harris, their starting safety, is coming back from a calf injury. Uh, there are some early indications that maybe Dante Fowler, uh, their edge rusher, is not necessarily fully healthy, but we'll sort of keep a track on that as the week unfolds uh, in the injury report. So health-wise, they're pretty healthy with a couple of players, you know, dealing with some nicks uh, here and there. Uh, as they adapt to Dean Pease's defense, it, a- it hasn't been pretty. Obviously, if you've seen any of the sort of the the numbers that are showing that the Falcons have been one of the weaker defenses in the NFL so far this season, it, that's been kind of reflected uh, on the field. They don't really have much of a pass rush. They're secondary, particularly at the safety position, and and basically everybody other than AJ Terrell uh, in that secondary hasn't played particularly great. Their linebacker play, despite Foye Aluakun and, and Deion Jones being very athletic and, and potential playmakers haven't really shown that ability to be making plays all over the field consistently this year. So it's a work in progress right now. And I think for the most part, the expectations 
for the Falcons defense is that this is going to be an evaluation and a development year for them as they sort of just try to pick up the, the scheme under Dean Pease rather than necessarily a, a unit that you were expecting going into the season to play at a high level. And the hope is that, you know, as we get closer to years in, you'll start to see some of that stuff come to fruition and start seeing several of these players get more comfortable within the scheme. But right now, the, the Falcons defense is certainly not a strength of theirs moving forward. Uh, and we'll just sort of have to see if, you know, they play a little bit better against Miami than we've seen so far this year. We're going to turn the tables here on this crossover Thursday edition on the Locked On Network, but not before we fill you guys in on our friends over at Bet Online with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to our new updated desktop or mobile device uh, to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using promo code Locked On to receive your bonus from basketball, football, baseball. NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports, and it is where the game starts. So we're continuing crossover Thursday here. Of course, Aaron Freeman of Locked on Falcons, Kyle Krabs of Locked on Dolphins, and switching gears to find out a little bit more information about this Dolphins team heading into this week seven matchup. Kyle, I, I listened to your earlier week's episode where you were talking about the London loss of the Jaguars and it sound pretty critical of the coaching in that particular game. And I'm curious when we look at this Dolphins disappointing start this season, mm-hmm. do you sort of attribute most of that to poor coaching? Do you think a lot of that is due to some of the talent that they've acquired in recent years not necessarily living up to expectations where do you sort of fall on that sort of spectrum of coaching versus talent yeah it's tough because brian flores and his staff overachieved in each of their first two seasons in miami and that's earned them a lot of grace and and a lot of benefit of the doubt from a lot of uh, the fans in the fan base and they're, they're saying the team in 2019 wasn't supposed to win more than one or two games they won five last year they were you know vegas odds had them at six and a half they won ten uh but this was the year with all the talent that was hand selected and brought in by this regime. And you're seeing young players that aren't taking a step forward. And that's very alarming. You think about Austin Jackson and Noah Ibnogany from the 2020 first round, which is two of their three first round picks. And Austin Jackson had to move inside to guard. And he's been okay there. And Noah Ibnogany only got to see the field against Jacksonville because your top two corners who were getting a combined like $30 million in cash this year combined between the two were both inactive. And he played okay, but he got mossed twice by Marvin Jones. And at the end of the day, that player development comes back to coaching. And then you're seeing the team, the guys don't know where to line up. Uh, you're facing unbalanced lines, and you're not bumping the front to make sure you have your gap integrity on the defensive side of the ball. They're taking zone coverage drops, and you got four guys uh, who aren't shading their their uh, zone spots to where route releases are going out into the secondary. And there, you got four guys outside the, the hashes on the right side. And there's one receiver that's out there and everybody else is going into the middle of the field and linebackers don't have the eyes in the back of the head to see where to go. So it's a hot mess. And, and that's pretty concerning when you pair that with the trends that you've seen from coach Flores and his assistant staff, where when he first came in, you had a lot of coaches off the Patriots tree. You tried to bring in Jim Caldwell. 
Uh, that didn't work on the offensive side of the ball last year was Chan Gailey. Well, this year you got a first-year quarterbacks coach who's never coached at the NFL level before. You got two offensive co-offensive coordinators uh, who had combined to coach or call plays for 19 games for Bill O'Brien back in 2015 and 2016 for the first three games of that season. You got your fourth offensive line coach who's a first-year NFL coach uh, at a, as a true positional coach. And some of these coaches are leaving Miami throughout the course of this three-year tenure to take parallel jobs elsewhere. Marion Hobby is a very well-respected defensive line coach. He left this offseason from being the Dolphins' defensive line coach to go coach the defensive line for the Bengals. Didn't take a promotion, nothing like that. After 2019, Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, left to take the defensive coordinator job with the New York Giants. So it's, that's kind of the alarming flag is there's experienced guys that are going out and that goes for the players on the field as well with guys like Kyle Van Noy and Eric Flowers and Bobby McCain. And the guys that are coming in have very little experience. And you're seeing that with a lot of sloppy play, which is not where we were supposed to be as the Miami Dolphins mentality here in year three. Now, the Dolphins purposefully chose to not have their bye week coming off of their London game like most teams wind up electing to do. Do you expect that, you know, to wind up affecting their play this weekend? Are they going to be maybe potentially a little bit jet lagged, a little bit tired going into this weekend? I don't I don't know if they'll be jet lagged, but I'm sure they are glad to get another chance to get out onto the field. Uh, with the way this season has started at one in five, um, the message within the building and whether or not it's falling on deaf ears is hard to say at this point uh, because the success and or the results aren't changing. But it's keep going with your preparation, keep preparing the same way, keep doing the same things. Eventually, the the results are going to fall into place. We're practicing the right way, uh, and you've heard, kind of heard some of that on Wednesday between Coach Flores and some of the players who spoke saying. Uh, we're excited to be playing football this weekend. And, and quite frankly, they need as many reps as they can get because there's just so many mental miscues and, and so many things that need to get cleaned up. And the only way you're unfortunately going to get there is reps. And I think that's the big litmus test for Miami now at this point is what are you able to do with these next 11 games? Because the the first six is a disaster based on where expectations were. Now, we talked a little bit before briefly about the reshuffle along the Dolphins offensive line with mm-hmm. Liam Meikenberg kicking over the left tackle, Austin Jackson kicking inside the left guard, some changes at center, I think due to an injury to Michael Dieter as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from my eyes watching the London game last week against the Jaguars, it, it seemed like that offensive line held up reasonably well against that Jaguars pass rush. Um, you know, do you feel like the Efforts so far of reshuffling are bearing fruit. Is this going to be potentially the starting five that we see on Sunday against the Falcons going to be the permanent starting five for the, the rest of the season? And how well do you feel about, you know, potentially Austin Jackson going up against a defensive tackle of Grady Jarrett's caliber? Do you feel like that's a matchup that he can potentially handle? The problem with Austin Jackson always comes back to his first punch. And it's timing, it's placement, it's having your feet in the ground so you can have power behind it. And a quick player like Grady Jarrett is going to be a big headache uh, for Austin Jackson. Now, ideally, you'd you'd get some help from Greg Manns at center, who is stepping in for Michael Dieter. And I think the level of play there at the center position has been fairly stable throughout that transition. So I've been encouraged by that from Greg Manns' perspective. And 
Uh, like what Robert Hunt on the other side at, at right guard has been able to do. He's settled down. He's only given up six pressures over his last three games combined after giving up 10 in the first three. So uh, he was playing right tackle for the team at the end of last year. And I think that's another variable for this team in which like everybody's all over the place. Lee Meikenberg was drafted. He played left tackle at Notre Dame, and then he was a right tackle. And then he was left guard because Solomon Kinley was in the doghouse. And then he was back to right tackle. And then Austin Jackson had COVID for week one. So then he was over at left tackle. It's like, this guy's a rookie. And you've played him at three different spots throughout the course of training camp. And uh, I think Austin Jackson gives you a little bit of an athleticism boost at guard where he's not on the island anymore, so guys aren't able to run around his outside. Josh Allen did get Liam Eikenberg a couple of times on the edge. He converted one speed to power, and he's got more length than Liam does, so he put him on his butt. Uh, but I, I, I agree with your assessment in that the offensive line, they, they were credited with 20 pressures. Uh, almost half of them came from Jesse Davis at right tackle, who they are so stubbornly married to play in the group of five. Uh, and, and he's the guy who missed the block that broke to his ribs in week two. Uh, he is consistently giving up pressure. Uh, it seems as though they like him because he's well-versed and experienced. He's, he's the oldest player. He's the veteran of this group. Um, but I, th I think you're really going to, if you want to have success, you're going to get Austin Jackson with that one-on-one -on -one matchup that you like. If you can dictate some 5-0 uh, blocking surfaces where guys got to go man-on-man -man, or just bring pressure on the outside, outside of 77 at right tackle, and, and you're going to get to Tua just because that's the way it's been all year long. Well, Dean Pease likes to throw those nickel blitzes out there, so I think yep. that's uh, a way that uh, he can scheme things up, and that's something to keep an eye on. Now, looking at the Dolphins' defensive side of the ball, we talked about Byron Jones and, and Xavier Howard missing last week's action. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious what their sort of statuses are going into this weekend because I imagine you know their presence is going to be potentially important uh, given the presence of Calvin Ridley and his return to the Falcons lineup, we saw sort of in those joint practices, you know, the Calvin Ridley versus Xavier Howard matchup was sort of must see television in that sort of back and forth there. And, you know, as I spoke earlier, given Miami's propensity to play a lot man coverage, you know, you kind of need somebody out there to, to cover a, a player like Calvin Ridley. I'm curious, where do you sort of feel where this Dolphins secondary is headed into this potential matchup? So all the players who missed the game against Jacksonville uh, with injuries were participants in the team's walkthrough on Wednesday. So that's a step in the right direction. Uh, I I would definitely expect that Byron Jones will be back. Uh, Zavian is... Uh, a little tougher. He's had more injury issues throughout the course of his career to this point in time. A lot of lower body stuff that's uh, concerning. I also would not be surprised if he ends up being somebody who is a uh, trade candidate if we get to the deadline and Miami decides to sell, in which case they may choose to be more uh, conservative with Xavier Howard. Uh, they they kind of had a handshake agreement amongst the the holdout that Howard had in the summertime when he wanted to get a pay raise that they were going to revisit his contract uh, this offseason at the start of the league year and rework his deal. And he's requested a trade from the team multiple times in the last couple of years. I can't imagine he's very happy to be 29 years old, kind of on the edge of that cliff of, of that magic number of 30 for corners and has the injury histories that he has uh, and is on a one in five football team. So uh, I'm not really sure that's a lot of speculation 
Uh, there's nothing concrete there at this point, Tom. Uh, don't want to act like I'm uh, bringing something out of thin air here, but uh, Xavier, it, it would certainly help the cause to win the football game because he would be the one that you would put on Calvin Ridley. Uh, and I go back to what you had said about the Raiders game and Byron Jones matching up on, on Kyle Pitts. I think that would probably be something if they wanted to play man-to-man, they would try to do a lot of. Uh, so their availability, I think, is going to go a long way in determining how they choose to try to play defense against the Falcons. Now, the last question I have for you, Kyle, is about Tua um, mm-hmm. and his performance. And, you know, I was very impressed with Tua's play in the preseason. I know it's preseason, but it seemed like whenever the Falcons were able to get pressure, he was able to sidestep that. It seemed like, as you mentioned, you know, Jacksonville was credited with a lot of pressures, uh, but it did seem like Tua tended to look pretty good dealing with that pressure. Um, you know, where are you at with Tua's performance so far, uh, not only from a pressure standpoint, um, but sort of in sort of being that sort of decisive franchise quarterback? I know he had a pretty rough interception against Jacksonville, but outside of that, it seemed like he played uh, particularly well. Where, where are we at with Tua in terms of his uh, potential as this sort of cementing himself as that long-term guy in Miami? Yeah, you definitely wish that you could have that throwback. You wish you could have the interception that he threw with about four minutes left in the fourth quarter against the Patriots back. Those two turnovers were kind of like WTF throws. They they were like young quarterback trying to make too much happen or not understanding that I can't work back to that progression that late and hope to get that throw there. Um, I've liked what he's done from a mobility within the pocket standpoint. He used his legs selectively. Uh, against the Jaguars, there were a couple of times in which the middle of the field was open. Uh, the offensive line managed to open up some lanes for him, and he tucked in and ran and protected himself well. So I think he's showing fairly well. Uh, but I don't I don't get the sense the coaching staff has a lot of confidence in Tua. You get the fourth and one. He's 10 of 12 passing in the fourth quarter of a 20 to 20 football game. You're on your own 48-yard line, and you give it to Malcolm Brown. And you don't even call an RPO. It's a straight run call. And um, there's, a lot, there's been a number of times the Jacksonville game was one. Um, the New England game was another one where you have a pretty successful early script where he's on scripted plays and you score points. And then you get off the script and the offense disappears and we shell up and we get really conservative to the point where you know, either it's an end of half situation where you got to play with some tempo and go get points and you open things up a little bit. And going back to 2020, he was pretty successful in those situations. Uh, or you're at the end of game scenario, like you were uh, against Jacksonville when they took the 20 to 17 lead and you got to put your foot on the gas. And he was successful in that situation as well. So um, the I have a really hard time figuring out where the variables fall with. How much of this is the coaching staff's belief in Tua? How much of it is the struggles of the offensive line? How much of it is limitations of Tua? And that's not where you want to be, you know, 22 games into drafting this guy. And it just kind of feels like uh, he's got a lot of variables that he's going to have to overcome, uh, but he's shown flashes in the ability to do it. And I think that's what makes this 11-game stretch for him so important, where if you get the guy that played against Jacksonville the rest of the way, you feel really good about his chances to be successful and any changes that you make are probably going to be made in mind with catering to what he does well. Uh, But if he does not do well, uh, we've all heard the rumors uh, about Miami's interest in another quarterback and 
I wouldn't dismiss those depending on how the final 11 games of the season go for Tua, but I'm cautiously optimistic based on what we saw against Jacksonville. Okay. So I think this is going to be obviously an interesting matchup for both teams. Certainly some things that both teams are looking to sort out. I believe the line is that uh, the two and Falcons a half. are. Well, I think it's Falcons minus two and a half. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, you know, where are you kind of feeling with that line? If you can give the listeners maybe some recommendations that they head over to betonline.ag. Oh, I like the plug there. That's slick. Um, I'll say the same thing that I said last week against Jacksonville, and I I thought that was going to be a three-point margin of victory. Miami has not had a single fortunate bounce of the ball since week one. So sometimes, if you guys are not in the right spots, when it comes down to those couple of plays, you're not going to be in the position to be taking advantage of that big play late in a close game. Uh, So whether or not that breaks or not, uh, that's up for everybody to make that judgment for themselves. Uh, But I think this is going to be within three points either way. Um, You know, Brian Flores, the first two years has traditionally done quite well covering the spread uh, because of no expectations on his team, but they had expectations this year and it's not been pretty. Uh, So the history this year uh, says take Atlanta minus two and a half. And I think this is going to be a field goal contest one way or the other. Yeah. There haven't been too many times this year where I've felt the need to express optimism with, with the Falcons being in the cover. And it feels like a weird place, you know, given these last couple of years in, in Atlanta to sort of be picking the Falcons in a game. But, you know, I feel like that's the direction I would probably lean uh, in, in regards to the spread. But, you know, there's been so many times where I've been, confident you know picking the falcons in this situation and and come to eat those words later on so we'll see how it it all plays out but maybe this is a brand new era under arthur smith uh in this coaching staff and and maybe you know people can actually start making some money off the falcons uh moving forward it's gonna do it for us on this crossover thursday here with aaron freeman locked on falcons kyle Krabs locked on dolphins Greatly appreciate everybody carving some time out of your day to watch or listen to the program. Uh, Make sure you keep it locked in right here on the Locked On Network. Your team every day. We don't just say it. We live it. Make it a great one. Hope everybody enjoys the weekend of football that's ahead.